right, let's start it up. Turn on my camera. Okay, I think the camera is on. All right, great. How's everyone today? Start with uh, questions. Does anybody have any questions? No, thank you. Okay, so does anybody have any questions about anything? Okay, great. So that's that's a good start. Um, so what we're going to do then today is it's going to be a lot more kind of um, class participation stuff because we're going to just discuss every man. Um, Okay, so you with the the two hundred fifty word responses, you can write anything. You literally just anything, just as long as it's on something we've covered that week, All right? So the Sunday after it's been, um, the the Sunday this Sunday, for example, where we would have covered this week every man, um, we'd cover Roman to Christian theater, and we've covered um, Peter Brook. Right, or we will by by the time Friday comes around. So Peter Brooks' chapter on the empty space. So anything within that within that framework. Thoughts? Yes, you can write your personal thoughts. Mm-hmm. That would be fine. And that is uh, we're gonna do every man, and then we're gonna move on to the the project. Start working on the the Shakespeare project. Um, so. Let's start with some things about it. Uh, so I think last time we started with the opening, right? And we talked about uh, what what is actually happening and why it's important. So can someone, again, summarize what we were talking about when we talked about the opening of this play? What the kind of the, the discussion was up to that point? Well, let's make it simple. What We have the opening here. What two characters sort of make up the opening of this play? Okay. Um, well, every man is comes in a little later, but well, let's start. Who's the first character we see in this play? Messenger. Yes, the the messenger. I think you said it. Uh, it drowned out a little bit. Um, but yeah, it was. Yep, it was the messenger, and and Jude wrote that too. Good. So, what then is the the function of this? What's the function of the messenger? Okay, sure. So, so Jude brings up a good point. This is a convention, and, and you're you're completely right, Jude. This is something we saw with the chorus, which they they come in and talk to the audience, and also in in uh, the braggart soldier, um, there's a character who comes out and talks to the audience. Exactly correct. Great. So we have this convention of some person comes out and talks to the audience. And this play is continuing that convention. However, it's a little different, right? So 
What was kind of the point of the chorus? What did the chorus stand in for in Oedipus Rex? Mm -hmm. Exactly, the audience. Good. So what was the... So the, the chorus, in speaking to the audience, sort of tells the audience... Um, you know, what what to think about this, or uh, I'm on your side in this affair. On your side, not in terms of a debate, but um, I, I'm, a, I'm taking your perspective, or trying to take your perspective. How about in Plautus, when we see the opening of that play? What is the, the, so the person communicating with the audience trying to do there? Yeah, there's a, a comedy to it. Um, it's also kind of presenting... Yeah, you get a summary of the play. Exactly. Uh, Aliana put that. The summary of the play is part of it, telling you what's going to happen. And Christine is also right. It's it's comic purposes. Um, and they also tell you, this is Plautus's play. You like Plautus. Applaud for Plautus. <laughs> right? So we have the, the summary of what's going to happen. Because, you know, plot is, is not exactly important. Uh in in any of these plays yet. I mean, it's important, but it isn't... The surprise of the plot isn't important yet. Um, so we, we have that, and uh, then we also have this kind of reputation thing going on, where somebody comes out and goes, here's the great Plautus, clap for Plautus, here's a summary of what's going to happen. Right Now, the messenger here has a different function than either of those. What do you think his function is here? Okay. Yeah, he's... I, I it first, but the mm-hmm. Yeah. He's talking directly to the readers or directly to the audience if it's staged. Sure. Mm -hmm. He is. And what is he telling them? Okay. Well, let's go through it. So uh, we also have you to tell the audience to pay close attention. Uh, Kaina said that. Am I saying your name correctly? I think I, I think I am. Well, if I'm not, you you can correct me, please. Um, but let's take a look at the the opening speech here. This. So I'm looking at line seven. This matter is wondrous precious, but the intent of it is more gracious, it being the, the play, and sweet to bear away. The story saith, man in the beginning, look well, and take good heed to the ending. Be you never so gay. Ye think sin is in the beginning full sweet, when in the end causeth the soul to weep. When the body lieth in clay, here shall you see how fellowship and jollity, both strength, pleasure, and beauty, will fade from thee as flower in May. Okay, and, and Mia says, yeah, well, you could always, you could all see what Mia is saying. He's asking them to look at their own lives. Good. So, yes, that's that's correct. He is looking, he's asking them to look at their own lives. Um, 
and he's teaching them a lesson, right? This is a didactic play. There is going to be a, a lesson in this play, which is, um, you know, kind of repent and repair ye way, right? Fix your path um, because, you know, while things seem sweet now, they seem good now, you're, you're going to die and you're going to be called to reckon. Um, and when we get towards the end here, this is line 19 through 21. For ye shall hear how our heaven king calleth every man to a general reckoning. Give audience and hear what he doth say. All right. So the purpose now we have in, in this kind of Christian play is didactic. We are going to learn a lesson. And, you know, what, what is that lesson? We get it right here in the messenger. Mm -hmm. Good, and and that's a great way to put it. Yeah, yeah, and and that that's a good way to put it. That it it um, you're going to have to to pay up later. Um, that there's these kind of earthly things: fellowship, jollity, strength, pleasure, beauty. All these things that we associate with uh, with the world that are in the world, but eventually you have you owe a debt, and you owe a debt to God. And phrasing it as he did, Trisha, is is great because it is an accounting play. It's a play in which a debt has to be played down, a uh, paid down rather. And the point of the play isn't that this character, every man, has to pay the debt down. The, the The point of the play is that everyone has to pay this debt. Right, every man is every man, <laughs> you know, and that's how this didactic play functions. It's it's straightforward, right? That the the element of instruction in it is meant to be obvious. I think the more sophisticated thing which you picked up on is this idea of a an accounting, um, a, a sort of ledger book style way of looking at. Uh, looking at sin and good deeds and how that that balance is required for redemption okay and so that's how we're, we're opening up we're opening up with this use of the audience that this play is going to do something different it's going to be um, far more interested in instructing the audience it has a point right as opposed to this is fun clap for Plautus okay um, good. So we then have God come out and God, uh, goes on and on for about 30 lines. Um, and again, we get this kind of, um, this sort of repetition of, of what's happening here, but now we're no longer outside the frame. Okay. Um, and when I say the frame, does anybody know what I mean? What a, what a frame narrative is? I don't. Okay. Fair enough. So a, a frame is something that gives context to a, a play or a movie that occurs in usually in both the beginning and the end. And so what happens is the frame will be outside the story and lead you into the story. Um, I'm trying to think of one. Uh, 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 the Grand Budapest Hotel, that movie that came out about, about six years ago, had a frame in which um, the 
movie was a story a, a girl was reading. And there's actually like three frames or something like that. But putting that aside, this girl was reading this book and then the book came alive and that became the movie. And then at the end of the movie, we leave the book and go back to the girl. And so the frame, um, you know, just like the frame of a picture, contains the plot of the play. And so the frame here is is the messenger who gives you this kind of um, didactic thing. And then you can kind of possibly read the doctor who comes in at the end as um, as being the other side of the frame. Okay, does that make sense? Yes, it does. Okay, good. And so the you could see why a frame would be useful here if you're going to tell the audience, here's a lesson you have to learn. Now let's watch the play. Okay. Um, excellent. So let's let's get back into God again. And so now we're inside the world, right? We're inside the world of the play. And the first person we meet is God. Uh, so we're doing great. Um, let's go to some lines towards the end of God's speech. Line, let's go... Uh, 56 down. They thank me not for the pleasure that I to them meant, nor yet for their being that I them have lent. I proffered the people great multitude of mercy, and few there be that ask it heartily. They be so cumbered with worldly riches that needs on them I must do justice. For every man living without fear, where art thou, death? Now, mighty messenger, messenger. Okay, so how is the condition of every man situated by God? And we kind of talked about this a little bit. Trisha, you brought this up. Um, and, and I'm especially looking at the line, um, nor yet for their being that I them have lent. There's a, there's a metaphor that is running through this play that's being introduced really strongly here. Which line again? It's line... Um, do, 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 50, 56. I'm sorry, 57. Nor yet for their being that I them have lent. Right. Okay. That, that's a good way to put it. Yes. They, um, their being is because of him. Sure. So, so God is the person who, who gives them their being. And how does he refer to that, to people having their own being? Is it a gift? Um, yeah. It's like something that he, like, allowed them to have, I guess. Hmm. Okay. It's something he allows them to have. That, that's true. Is it a gift or not? though. So a gift would be something given without expectation of a return. Okay. Good. And and Christina, you you had started to say something? Did you want to respond to that? Yeah, I was just going to say that um, it's not a gift if you like, expect something in return. Okay. Good. And so yeah, so we get... Um, the this idea that yeah there it's it, it's not a gift that something's expected in return um 
we have Jude here says sort of hedonistic. What do you mean by that? Oh, okay. Every man is sort of hedonistic. That's what you're saying. Okay, yeah, that that is definitely true. Um, Aliana, uh, situated. What I mean by that is um, how how has God put every man into the world? Under what condition? Right. And I, I what we're touching on here, I think, is that this isn't quite a gift. Or what I'm trying to get at here, it isn't quite a gift. And this relates to the, the accounting metaphor that, Trisha you had touched on, that this is a life lent, right? And, and lending requires remuneration. It requires you to recuperate some sort of, some sort of financial gain. Um, now, here, it's not financial, obviously. God is not, doesn't want, like, you know, 5% on, on some sort of loan. Uh, the recuperation then comes from he wants the life redeemed right so he wants the person to be able to pay down his life with something and so what does god want every man to pay down his life with okay well death is going to happen right so so death is the agent who sparks the action right god death becomes god's messenger Mm-hmm. Good. M Mia pointed out good deeds. Oh, wait, you were asking about the messenger? Sorry. No, no, no. I was asking about what does God want in exchange for the life that he's given to every man. And what he wants, as Mia has pointed out, is good deeds. Now, that's the thing that uh, every man can take to his grave. And so... When reading through this, if you're going to, let's say, do a, a final paper on this play, um, I suspect not a lot of people will. That's just my, my suspicion. But if you were to do that, the financial metaphor in here in this play, this idea of paying down a debt, is, is scattered throughout this play. Um, and trading in the worldly stuff, you know, the stuff that no longer benefits you, trading that in for these these things that do lead you towards a better life is part of how this play is constructed and the the metaphor that goes throughout it so in a kind of careful reading of this play kind of teasing out that metaphor could be a, a really interesting reading for example of this play and eventually the thing that uh, every man gives to god in exchange for you know, redemption, right? Redemption from the loan of his life is good deeds. And every man has to recover good deeds. He has to get the good deeds. He has to earn them through um, through good works. But really, what's the thing, does anybody remember, that gets good deeds off the ground? Because remember, good deeds is on the ground. She She's too weak to stand up. What causes... I'm sorry? Oh, sorry. Go, go for it. I was about to say, doesn't he pray for forgiveness in that cell? Yep, he prays for forgiveness and also. And this is a little. Confession? Mm hmm. It, it's, he, he prays for conf forgiveness. 
he confesses and he also scorches himself, right? He whips himself. Mm hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Good. And so there's this kind of, um, uh, <laughs> that's, that's okay. Uh, there's this kind of, um, you need to kind of confess your sins and you need to sort of pay it down. And he pays quite literally in blood. You know, which, which may be kind of shocking or surprising to us. Um, in the movie, it's uh, <laughs> the, 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 the kind of makeup of the, the scorching is, is, is very obvious. Um, but I think that's where the, kind of the, the production or the lived version of something like this is important. Because regardless of the quality of the movie, it's kind of easier to remember him whipping himself when you see it and the, the scene stops and allows him to do that. As opposed to... Okay. As opposed to in this, where it's it's a stage direction that we we skip over. Okay. Good, good, good. So let's let us keep going um, into the next thing I want to talk about. Um, so I also want to talk about another way this play communicates information, and that's through repetition. Um, Let's jump to line 378. Okay, and this is a speech by Everyman. This is right after Cousin exits. All right. Um, and we have th this repetition here. Uh, I'm... You can all see it, I hope. Uh, I'm not going to read through it. Uh, and But just to summarize, every man is repeating that the kinsmen promised to be faithful. Um, he ran away. Fellowship promised to be faithful. Um, he ran away. Uh, all my life I've loved riches. Um, and that that hasn't helped either. So we get this kind of repetition of the action. We see this again if we go to line 463, right? And again, this is after Goods has has left. Um, and lines 463 through 485, um, all of this is about Goods, and then it, it's about what has happened, and then it leads into line 480 and 480 he starts giving us new information which is about good deeds this is where we get good deeds who's trapped on the ground so i'm kind of curious why does the the set speeches of every man function in this way why do you think everything here is is repeated so think about it in terms of as an audience member right you're, you're watching a play and there's a collection of scenes and the thing that can ties the scenes together for with one exception is every man at the end of a scene every man occasionally recounts what happened as an audience member why if you or if if you're a playwright and you're thinking about the audience why would you have these set speeches Maybe if you want to put like a scene in 
Texas, like on that idea. Yep, exactly. If you want to emphasize a particular idea, and what are what is the idea, or what are the ideas that are being emphasized? Um, that like all these things, like riches and stuff, like aren't gonna help you your good deeds or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's basic. These these you know I'm I'm the sophisticated. I'm not really. In this class, I'm probably not going to be asking overly sophisticated questions. <laughs> um, a lot of this is just what is... With a lot of these plays, it's kind of like, what is literally happening? Um, sometimes the language can be so alien that talking about the the literal plot is, is going to be helpful um, or even necessary. But yeah, so... And this is, again, a didactic play. At the end of each scene, we're supposed to learn a lesson. Right? And so... Every man, with even within the context of the, the plot, comes out and acts much in the same way as that opening speech functioned, right? The, the kind of messenger at the beginning of the play. Um, he comes out and tells you, this is what that meant, right? Here is the meaning. This mirrors nicely the kind of liturgical dramas, uh, or excuse me, the, the liturgy, the actual liturgy, not the dramas, of that day, in which you get a Bible reading, and then you get a, a priest sort of explaining or talking about the Bible reading. Here we have that religious influence secularized. We're no longer expressly talking about Christian belief. I mean, in fact, this play could, well, it, it's it's Christian. It's I was going to say something that, that isn't true. It is Christian, um, but it's taken out of the clergy's hands and it's given that same thing it's seen its performance and then we're given the the moral instruction we're supposed to take away from this and i think that's how repetition is is functioning here okay um so let's move on here and take a look at the scene with excuse me the scene with kindred and cousin okay and so we get that scene and that in the the film version um, was staged with the children, <laughs> the, 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 the little and, in my opinion, somewhat annoying children who, who played those roles. So this, I think, is kind of one of the more awkward scenes in this play, um, awkward for our, our kind of modern sensibility. And it is the fact that your, your family and your friends um, are to be kind of left behind, right? That they have no real role in, in your redemption, right? In every man's redemption. Why do you suppose that is? Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. There's something, there's something you have to do on your own. Um, good. Any other responses? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. So, they also have their own stuff to work on. They have their own um, sins to atone for. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and that's part of it. It's also that family and friends are part of the material world. Okay, And so what we get here with this is lines uh, 325, 326. 
Um, I'll actually give you Cousin's speech, which is four lines before that. So, ye every man, and to us declare if ye be disposed to go any whither, for wit you will, we will live and die together. Then Kindred says, in wealth and woe we will with you hold, for over his kin a man may be bold. Then every man responds to this. Um, I was commanded by a messenger that is high king's chief officer. He bade me go on a pilgrimage to my pain, and know well I shall never come again. Also I may give a reckoning straight, for I have a great enemy. Da da da. Um, and then Kindred responds, this is line 336. What account is that which ye must render that I would know? All right, and we get that accounting metaphor again. Um, of all my works, I must show how I have lived and my days spent, also of ill deeds that I have used in my time, Sith life was me lent, um, and all of my virtues that I have refused, dot, dot, dot. Uh, and then we get on line three, four, six. Nay, every man, I had lifer fast bread and water. Um, and what that means, lifer, means uh, rather fast on bread and water. Um, I'd rather fast on bread and water all these five years and more. And then every man says, you forsake me. Ah, sir, what ye be a merry man, take good heart to you and make no moan. But one thing I warn you by St. Anne, as for me, ye shall go alone. My cousin, will you not go with me? Or not with me go? No, by Our Lady, I have the cramp in my toe. Trust not me, for so God me speed, I will deceive you in your most need. And so what we get here is um, an admittance that um, that these people are material, right? That, yeah, okay, that's a good point, Mia. Mia says the debt of good deeds fall on each individual. And that's true. And the other individuals, kindred and cousin, family and friends, are also material. When we get to the characters later on, characters like good deeds, um, good deeds isn't isn't material. It's an, a kind of an aspect of what you do with your life, right? It's it's some some action you take, uh, much in the same way sin is. And so, the play is equating kind of family ties and friendly ties with monetary ties and material ties. Family and friends are also something that um, have been purchased with the loan God gave every man and have been a bad purchase, right? It's, they're, they're the sports car um, and, and not the education. So they are in this play kind of equated in the same way um, uh, money is, is equated or, oh God, what else does he have to give up? Fellowship. Um, he also has to give up like strength and beauty and all that, all those things. They are another type of worldly trap. And so even though they're, they're kind of family, um, in the end, they are just a part of this world that has to be paid down. Which I think is is awkward in the sense that we we tend not to think that way anymore. But that was a common belief back then. They had these things called um, what were they called? Moderni or something like that. One second, I have it in my notes here. Um, they were called. 
I, I don't remember. There, there was a, a, a short kind of philosophical belief in which we saw the equation of um, family and financial interest together. Uh, and so that, that's the context in which that scene is staged. Yeah? Good. Um, and so let's, oh wow, we don't have a lot of time. Um, <clears throat> let's take a look towards the, uh, towards page 231 and take a look at the, um, the confession scene. And so moving on here. And we might, oh God, we, we're not going to get through all of the, the scansion stuff today. But that's okay. I, I've posted it already. So going to page 231, going to the, uh, to that scene there. Um, how does the confession scene function in this play? So this play starts to build towards, towards confession. So how does the confession scene function in this play? Are you asking what's happening in the scene? Well, let's let's start with that. Yeah. Let's start with what is happening in that scene. So let's go to page 231. Um and we're getting the the confession here. Confession comes out. Um she starts speaking on on five five four um i know you sorrow well every man because your knowledge ye come to me i will you comfort as well i can and a precious jewel i will give thee called penance voider of adversity therefore shall your body chastity be with abstinence and perseverance in god's service here shall you receive the scourge of me which is penance strong that you must endure to remember thy Savior was scourged for thee with sharp scourges and suffered it patiently. So must thou, ere thou scape that painful pilgrimage, knowledge keep him in this voyage. Okay, so what's literally happening here? Um, he's like <clears throat> ripping himself for like every bad deed that he's done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's he's also found right. So he is whipping himself, or she's proposing that he does that. Um, but it's also the the thing he's been trying to get to, right? He doesn't really know where he's going, and knowledge helps him or leads him here. Right? Knowledge is the one who I believe introduces him, right? Yeah, knowledge. Um, in on the previous page, lines five forty through. 543 she introduces him to the to confession right she leads him there and so in this scene confession uh 
confession is a sort of the climax of the play or one of the climaxes. And one of the structures of the play is that you have the climax of the play is every man comes to confession and is able to um, scorch himself, redeem himself. And what happens right after is that right on line 619, good deeds can walk. I thank God now I can walk and go and am delivered of my sickness and woe. And so the, the play, in one sense, is building towards confession. That's one aspect of it, or one kind of climax of the play. What other climax might we see in this work? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I'm I'm not. I don't think so. I don't think it's when. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily when he gets beauty and and discretion and all that. I mean, it, it it's sort of towards the end there, right? The once beauty and discretion leave, and knowledge leaves too. It builds to every man kind of climbing in the grave. And then the end is going to be sort of... The ending is, is very quick. The, the post-climax scene is, um, you know, like lines 880 through 921. Um, and so this play has kind of really two climaxes. It builds towards the journey to confession in which he's redeemed. And then it has this really weird other scene which builds towards a climax in which he climbs into the grave with with good deeds right that everybody has to kind of leave him behind for with the exception of good deeds um and i was wondering what people thought of that structure because it's not it's not normal it's an odd structure great uh, i i think that's that's perfect here um and it speaks to the sort of catholicism of this play uh, you you need good deeds to get into heaven, and you need the authority of the church, which for most people comes through confession. Every man also takes holy orders, right? He becomes a priest uh, towards the end of his life. And so the the sort of double climax, and, and yeah, that's a it's a great summation of it, sort of mirrors the the two things needed, or the two theological principles that are required for redemption and paradise, which is good deeds, which is the authority of the church, right? You can't, you can't get into heaven by yourself. According to the Catholic church, you need, um, or the Catholic church at this time anyway, you need the authority of the church. You need confession. So the sort of double climax, the fact that the play builds to these two moments mirrors the two requirements. Okay, great. Um, and so again, we have the the entire play is geared towards this didactic purpose. Yeah, it's geared towards instruction and demonstration. Um, and what appears to be kind of a very simple allegory, and allegories are usually very simple. And I think one of the reasons why this play has, I think, been staged literally every year since it's been written is that 
there's a lot more um, there's a lot more subtlety in the instruction that's being given, uh, the the both in the metaphors that are being used and the way the play is structured. And if you're interested in kind of investigating this more, um, you know, taking a look at this these details would allow you to to you know exculpate the play and have the experience that an audience member is experiencing. All right, and these last few minutes, so we're going to do Scansion next time. Um, before we get into the movie, uh, just to let you know, I've posted in the As You Like It folder the uh, scan, Scansion worksheet, so the Scanning the Text worksheet. It's in the As You Like It folder because it's a Shakespeare thing. Um, take a look at that for Friday. We're going to go through that as well as the Peter Brooks. And it's going to be a, a sort of worksheet for the first project for our first project um and it's going to be you know working on the text and whatnot um we're also going to look at that with the the link to um to john barton and john barton's stuff on on how to work with text so just take a look at that for next time and then we're going to work on that together but before we go um what did you guys think of the the film version and some of the choices made Okay, good. Yeah, D different ages. I think the the age of every man is both surprising and also sort of makes sense. Um, Jude, I think you had you had tried to chime in. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say that um, I found it um, interesting that other, other than the other two plays that we watched, it seems kind of like utilize different like angles and shots to like really emphasize. The feeling or like of what was happening as opposed to just like like raw emotions and like really loud shouting and like from like the mama theater i think it was called or like play play or whatever mm -hmm. yeah it, it was a filmed version so th that's a good point that the the play wasn't treated as a play it was treated as a short film okay any other choices that people found kind of interesting or observed Okay, good. So one thing I would say, a, a choice the director made, and trying to look at choices a director makes that are external to just the blueprint, just to just the script. Um, with with a play like this, it's probably going to be very simple. But one of them is those kind of intercuts of every man with the belly dancer, where you see him kind of run off with the belly dancer, or or him watching the belly dancer, because what we get in this text is not the specifics of his sins other than avarice he's greedy and he has money and he thinks he can buy his way out of death um that that's you know that is his sin here but when we're talked when we when the play talks about the lusts of the flesh we're not really given any example of this and one of the choices the director seems to have made here is to intercut uh the the text with what appears to be kind of a renaissance festival i think um in order to highlight these other sins that are hinted out but never explored and so you know we don't have like lust of the flesh as a character here but the director brings that aspect forward by making the choice to intercut every man's uh every man's current journey 
with his past in which he's sort of indulging um, certain, it appears to be indulging certain sexual fantasies. And in so doing, we get kind of more of the world of sin. We get a, a, a wider understanding of where every man was at the beginning of this and where every man ends up, right? He ends up as a, a, a redeemed priest. Okay. And so looking for choices like that um, can can help when trying to explore how you yourself might stage a play like this. Uh, you know, obviously this is a movie, so you, you'd have to, you're not, you know, making a movie, you're staging a play with your directing project, but including these sort of unspeaking characters, um, that's an option for you. How would you do that and what aspect of the play would that highlight or bring out? And that brings us to 11 o'clock. Okay. Um, so any other questions before we go?